When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Abzak, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And if we're going to talk about favorite scenes and moments, and we're in season four, at least I am, I think we have to look at Arya getting Needle back. The entire sequence of the Hound and Arya showing up at the little inn for some chicken is one of the favorites of a lot of people who watch Game of Thrones even casually. I think it is the first time that you are um, behind the hound 100%. There's times along the way, even going back to season one, where you start to, eh, maybe there's something about the hound I like. Maybe he's not as bad as we think. Maybe he was just dealt a bad hand and a burnt face, and eh, maybe he's misunderstood. But this, this, the hound wanting his chicken and not going along with the Lannister men, and led by Polliver, who is a show-only character. It's funny, it's violent, it's vengeance-filled. There's a lot of great things to that sequence, a lot to love. But I want to focus on Arya getting Needle back. Arya quickly turns into a killer. By the end of season one, she's killed her first boy, a fat boy. She sticks him right in the middle, and she... She has it in her. She has this darkness in her. But she didn't want to be a lady of a big house. She didn't want to uh, sit around uh, making uh, needlepoint art and, and cooking for the men. Arya had a different vision, a pretty impressive vision, considering the world she grows up with, of what she wants to do. And it really starts coming to light. Season two and three, she's, she's running, she's on her own. Uh, on her own, her and the Hound then team up toward the end of season three, and and it's uh, still there's a little bit of a little girl in Arya, that little girl from Winterfell. She's trying to get back to her family. And the Hound is trying to get her back to the family for a fair price, and she some comes so close at River Run, so close to actually being involved with the Red Wedding would probably not have gone well. So. That aria from season three, uh, definitely one and two, but season three is still, even though she's killed, it's still the old aria, the aria we are met, uh, we are introduced to, and we meet, I should say, in season one. But it's here, at the beginning of season four, in episode one of the fourth season, that aria transitions. Uh, her full transition will be later, but this really sends her on her journey. She sees Polliver. She knows it's Polliver. Polliver's being an absolute ass. And he has Needle. Slices his leg with another sword. He drops and she reenacts the scene in which Polliver killed Lamy, took Needle, and uh, separated Arya from her identity, from her family. It's another sign of Arya uh, being separated from the Stark. So here she doesn't just get Needle back. She claims it. Reenacts the scene. Polliver realizes right before he dies who this is, what this is in reference to. He gets it, but he's dead. There's a great music cue. 
She kills the other Lannister soldiers on the ground. She hits them in the head and then grabs uh, this other sword and, and kills them. There's a great music cue right, right as the blade goes in. It's a little psychotic. It's dark. Really moody music. Great stuff there. And it really sets the background tone for what's going on in Arya's heart. She has fully transitioned into Arya Stark, killer. She's going to become a trained killer later, but she's there. She reclaims Needle. The Hound, though injured, defeats all these men. And the great cut to them just riding away. She wanted her own horse. Now she has one. She has Needle back. And, of course, the Hound has his chicken. Great way to end the first episode. At the time, I remember thinking, oh, that, that's how they're ending it. But then you go back and you really see what's going on and, and now have the benefit of hindsight because we see where Arya has ended up. I think it really all began there. Arya reclaiming Needle. You got a favorite moment from season four? Any season, don't forget to call in here at Daily Thrones. Let's discuss. Hey, Ken. So, still talking about season four. I wanted to talk about a Red Viper moment. And my moment I'm going to talk about is a very, very quick moment and small moment, but it's still a great moment. And it happens at Tyrion's trial when Tyrion announces he wants a trial by combat. The screen, it flashes to the Red Viper, and just the look he gives of just love, love, like curiosity, and you can see in his head, he starts to formulate this plan that. Hmm. I'll be. I could be his champion and get revenge against you know the Lannisters this way. And the character, like no character on the show has before him, and no character since. He just oozed charisma. So just by giving a look, it was just uh, wonderful. Such an awesome portrayal by Pedro Pascal. I applaud the show for casting him. I can't imagine anyone else playing that role. So yep, the Red Viper's look during the trial. Eric, with an astute observation, that's why I love this conversation that includes more than just my voice, because I really haven't paid attention to that moment. I think I've always been focused on Tyrion declaring uh, his wishes for a trial by combat, and we just uh, know uh, that Oberyn is the one that uh, he takes the call and uh, takes on the challenge, and yes, it fits into Oberyn's narrative, but I wonder if he planned it. He certainly didn't show up to King's Landing thinking, well, Tyrion's going to be framed or accused of Joffrey's murder or go to trial. I will um, stand in this place and I'll be his champion and I'll kill the mountain. Yay, revenge. Clearly he couldn't have done that. It was like a Luke Skywalker going to Jabba's palace. Not all of that could have been planned, even with the force on Luke's side. So Obert, I think, adapted on the fly, and that's a good moment. I'm going to go look at that scene myself, Eric, and concentrate on it and see what, uh, what's on Obert's face as he adapts on the fly. He, he changes his, uh, his direction, and it probably seemed like a gift from the gods. Here he is in King's Landing trying to find revenge, doing a little detective work, just kind of... Uh, hanging around, mixing things up, causing problems, and now comes the opportunity he's been waiting for. We know it ends bad, but it's an another interesting study of Oberyn. I wonder what Oberyn would have done if that trial didn't happen. What if Joffrey doesn't die? What if Tyrion isn't framed and accused and sent to trial for this murder? How does Oberyn try to gain revenge? How does he try to get vengeance how does he try to kill the mountain? 
Because Mountain actually wasn't even there in King's Landing when Oberyn showed up. So I guess Oberyn maybe, like I said, was doing detective work, trying to find a way to prove it. And then suddenly he was gifted with the chance to really take revenge by the raids. Didn't work out, but he was almost there. Good moment. Good moment, Eric. Good call. Again, Kevin Ross. So let's have a conversation about Catherine. Catherine. Um, to me, Catherine is the ultimate northern role player. And she's, for ever since you, you meet her uh, with Ned, has always expressed to Ned, we are northern people. We rule the north. We don't understand the south. When Ned is trying to go south to ultimately help the king and become the, the hand of the king, it's Catherine that te- tries to tell him, don't do this thing. We don't understand them. Let's not do this. And let's really just call call it out like it is, okay? Ned brings home someone that Catherine doesn't think she should have. Look, from the Battle of the Five Armies, lots of these, these knights and lots of these soldiers are bringing home kids, not from their wives. And Ned's gone away before and has never done it before. And look what happens. Her anger is justified for who she is. Thanks. Right, we've been talking about Catelyn Stark recently here and how to find sympathy and empathy and maybe start liking Catelyn Stark if one of the people, like I was, that really didn't like a lot of her decisions, felt maybe that they caused more problems than uh, was needed. Well, uh, Kevin's got this good call talking about uh, Catelyn. I think, uh, Kevin, I think you were saying Catherine, but I, I think we know you meant Catelyn. Uh, Catelyn Stark, uh, Caitlin, for a lot of people who read the books for years and hadn't heard the name pronounced, actually, uh, heard that story as well. But hey, here's the interesting thing. So you're very right. I think her anger is justified. And I think, uh, how she dealt with it might not have been the best way, but she's definitely justified. I'd never, never want to make it seem like I look at Catelyn Stark and don't think, like, why were you so mean to John and just uh, didn't forgive Ned? Come on. Though in the books, it stated a little more that she definitely forgives Ned, but it's not. Um, it, it's not in, uh, in her interest. It's not something that she wants to keep John there. Fine, you had this bastard boy. Have someone else raise it. I don't want to raise this kid. And maybe even that's kind of a fair position. She just went about it in a different way. The books paint a little bit of a different picture of Catelyn. And this is what I wanted to bring up here. Uh, Kevin, you're right. In the show, Catelyn's like, Ned, do not go south. Look what happened when your brother and father went south. They died. Do not go south. We are northern people. We understand the north. And the southern people in Westeros, they kind of have a similar view of the north people. I think they think they're slow, stubborn, uh, not people they want to hang out with at parties. And you know what? A lot of people in the north are a bit dour, but it's very cold. They might be justified in their bad moods. But in the books, there's some subtle but strong differences uh, about Catelyn. Uh, number one, she encourages Ned to go. This is something about her, you know, helping her sister, even though her sister's at the Vale. Uh, helping, uh, you know, the sort of the memory, honoring John Aaron. Like, if John Aaron died, you must, you must figure out what's going on, and you must protect Robert. That's why he came up to get you. It means that much. It's a little bit of a different play. And, of course, there's more of a focus on the reason Jon Snow was joining the Night's Watch. is more about Catelyn saying, yeah, also, by the way, uh, if you're going south... I don't want Jon Snow here anymore. He's no longer my responsibility. Get him out of here. We'll send him to the wall. Now, I'm paraphrasing these situations, of course, but that's kind of the general tone. And it does does paint Catelyn as a little bit more of a bad light 
And I think it's a, a change for the show that I understand. I would have liked it to be made a little more clear why John is going to the Night's Watch. Uh, I've always just taken it as, hey, he's a bastard. He has no place here. Um, Ned is marching away, and John's going to go try to make a name for himself. More on his terms, his thoughts, his ideas. Um, it's something he wanted to do where uh, the idea that Catelyn would have forced him to go or said, it's, you know, I don't want anything to do with him. And maybe John chooses from that point. It just takes, it takes a little, puts a little bit of a different hue on Catelyn Stark. And, and I, I'm glad in the end that the show made that change. It's, it's a needed difference because then we can uh, find a little bit more to sympathize with Catelyn over. And I think that is actually a good thing. Stately Thrones for this day. We'll talk more favorite scenes, any theories, thoughts, speculations. Let's do it. Call in. It's Daily Thrones here on Anchor. I'm Ken Apsock, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And this is a Game of Thrones podcast. This is a daily show about Game of Thrones. But today, I uh, I might not get to a full broadcasting day because it is Star Wars The Last Jedi world premiere day. And I am very fortunate, humbly fortunate, to go to this event tonight downtown L.A. I will be attending the world premiere of The Last Jedi. Try not to spoil for anybody. I, I, I'm usually pretty good at that. I keep my emotions in check. Emotions are spoilers. Trying to relate this to Game of Thrones. I've never had the chance to go to like a season premiere uh, event at Game of Thrones, so they uh, do exist. Maybe one day. But uh, uh, out there, what do you guys think? Who would you want to take from Game of Thrones? A character, not the actor. A character to a premiere. Who would be the red carpet, the viewing, and the after party best mate for any kind of premiere. Doesn't have to be Game of Thrones. But character-wise, I mean, Marjorie Tyrell, maybe Cal Drogo, if you're just looking for arm candy. But Cal Drogo at a party, I don't know if he'd do that well. He might be too uh, excited and end up killing somebody because that's what the Dothraki would do. It'd be a dull affair if he didn't. Marjorie Tyrell, she'd be a power climber. She'd be a worker. She'd just literally be on your side to get in the event. Though she's not as uh, malicious as, say, a Cersei Lannister, she would then uh, try to work her way around the party. So, I don't know. Ober Martell, he's a great partier. Ilaria San, she's a great partier. But you got to keep the whole event in check. I, I think I might end up choosing, I don't want to say Sansa Stark. Brianna Tarth? No. Tormund Giants Bane. That's right. I would attend a premiere with Tormund Giants Bane because he would be in awe. He would uh, also be fun at parties, but he wouldn't kill somebody. He's got some common sense to him. And he would be like, this is amazing that you guys do this. You, you put on all the, you, what, you, what's these fancy duds? Why aren't we eating food straight from the fire pit? And what are we watching? I think Tormund's Giants Bane would be, Tormund Giants Bane would be a good red carpet premiere buddy. What do you guys think? I want some answers. Get weird. Get detailed. I'll post the calls when I can, and I'll resume broadcasting tomorrow, and I'll try not to talk too much about Star Wars. Back broadcasting after a lot of fun at the Star Wars The Last Jedi world premiere last night. Uh, obviously not going to talk about it here. No spoilers. I even think emotions are spoilers. You're just going to get a straight poker face from me. Plenty of time to talk about The Last Jedi on Collider Video. And over on the Force Center podcast feed where we'll go in really deep. So if you're a Star Wars fan and want to talk about it, head over to those locations in the coming days and weeks. A lot to talk about. Um, but uh, you guys had a lot of fun answering my question uh, about which character from Game of Thrones 
would you take to the red carpet? I, I settled on Tormund Giants Bane for a lot of reasons. Just red carpet fun, uh, after party fun, protection in case things get wild. Marjorie Tyrell would also be a great answer. Uh, was my, I would say my official second, second choice. But you guys had some great thoughts on who you would bring to a red carpet. So I'll post those here. Then we're going to get back to talking about some of our favorite scenes and other questions here on Daily Thrones about Game of Thrones. Hey, Ken, a very, very fun question. So who would I take on to a red carpet? Uh, I think I'd be a little baby, a little out of the box. I think I'd have to go with Roz. She's one, number one, she's absolutely stunning. Two, she's a, she's a sociable conversationalist. I think she'd be a lot of fun at the after party. I just think, I think we'd have a good time, you know? I think we'd have a good time. I wouldn't have to, I, I wouldn't worry. I don't think she would try to kill me or anything like that. I think she'd be, just be grateful that I brought her to the event and you know who knows what would happen later on in the, in the night so i'd have to go with Roz. hey ken rocky checking back in here with who i'd want to be my red carpet date from game of thrones uh and you went with torment i've got to go with another wildling and that's ecrit uh one uh because she's very beautiful kissed by fire and i'm not pretty enough to uh be prancing around on a red carpet with those hollywood types uh so you know, I'm going to need somebody to, to make me look good. And two, because she's going to keep me down to earth. You know, if I go to a red carpet premiere, I see Mark Hamill, I see Daisy Ridley, I'm going to want to run up to them and, and you know, start fanboying out. But she's going to say, shut up, you know nothing, stay right here, go sit down, shut up, and watch the movie. Thanks. World premiere. But in a world premiere, it's a big press event. And... For that press event, you kind of want to stand out. You kind of want to make a splash. You kind of almost sort of want to be controversial. So who am I bringing to as my red carpet date? I'm bringing both the Golden Twins. I'm bringing both Jamie and Cersei Lannister between seasons one and two. Sort of at the height of their powers and the height of their controversy. Right, Because that's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking to get into the press. We're kind of looking for a little gossipy kind of magazine. We're kind of looking um, almost as a foil between is is uh, Cersei dating me or is she dating her brother? Um, that's the kind of fun thing we're going to do there at the, at, the, um, at the premiere. Thanks. Those are some fun answers. And you guys really do like those Kiss by Fire uh, redheads uh, with Roz and Egret. Those are good choices. Egret would be, uh, you know, it depends on what point you get Egret. I think early on when we meet Egret season two, she might be uh, maybe turned off, confused by all the tra-la-la-la-la dresses the women are wearing. She probably wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, then again, that's the kind of girl you want at your side if that's your choice there because uh, she's going to fight for... Uh, a place in line for drinks, food. There's a lot of strategy when you think about all that. That's why, in the end, I think I'm bringing Tormund with, with me. No one's going to cut in front of him in line, but no one should cut in front of Egret either. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, Kevin, you're right. These world premieres for these movies, make no mistake, are highly orchestrated press events. They are uh, a little piece of candy for the press to come on in and take the bait, and uh, it often works, no doubt about it. I had a lot of fun last night, but uh, the uh, the choice of Cersei and Jamie to stand out, you're going to bring both of them if you get a plus two, and that's pretty hard to do to get a plus two. Uh, <laughs> if you uh, bring them and everyone knows what's going on, I'll say so. That's a 
That's a pretty interesting choice there, but absolutely right. Uh, that's also why, uh, you know, uh, you, I shouldn't uh, overlook bringing Peter Baelish or Varys to the red carpet. That would be valuable, valuable if you're trying to get scoops, gossip, information, and really work the room. Baelish would be better to bring uh, so he could work the room out in the open, play uh, play people against each other. And Varys, he just, you know he'd have the... The wait staff at the after party all on his payroll, at least most of them. He'd have security people on his payroll. You get into all the uh, VIP corners uh, of every party. It, it, that would be valuable as well. So we have a lot of choices here when you're trying to pick someone from Game of Thrones to go with you to a red carpet event. Hey, Ken. I know you're probably crazy busy right now around the uh, premiere of Star Wars The Last Jedi, but uh, I wanted to ask you something that kind of revolves around that and Game of Thrones. As I sit here, I just got uh, Season 7 delivered on my doorstep, so I watched the first couple episodes of Season 7 naturally, and I'm just, you know, enjoying it like I always do. The thought popped into my mind, I wonder if Ryan Johnson's new trilogy, or maybe even the new television show that's coming out, I wonder if they will touch on things we've never seen before and maybe the reason they're doing that is because they want to push more of an adult theme um i say that because there's been a lot of success lately in in entertainment with more of an adult theme behind things and game of thrones has really kind of been the uh the front runner of that pack showing people how it's done i think star wars could do marvelous with that kind of political intrigue delving more into the fantastical elements and the mysticism love to know what you think thanks for taking the call and have a great night all right, let's talk a little Star Wars here on Daily Thrones. You're not going to get Last Jedi spoilers out of me, but Sir Thomas Atal with an interesting call about the influence possibly on Game of Thrones on the Star Wars universe. Are the storytellers, the writers, the directors, the story group, and the producers, are they drawing influences from other properties as they go forward? In a way, yeah, to some degree. Uh, Star Wars with George Lucas uh, back in the 70s he created a wonderful world and a great lore and following the modern uh, storytelling styles uh, of an epic movie you know he followed the Joseph Campbell uh, hero's journey and and that's what worked and then he built up uh, a world around it and he was uh, very you know it's a deep world George Lucas did create a lot of that if you look at the original scripts a lot of stuff that was in the prequels was there so it was all in his mind but this modern era of storytelling in Star Wars definitely has, uh, because of this focus on canon, which can sometimes be annoying. You want to put the story first, not what is uh, canon first. But they've had to be aware of it. Fandoms are uh, uh, are very keen to that kind of stuff. They're very tuned in to what actually counts and what the story is. And what is said in this comic book uh, syncs up to what's going on here uh, in, in a movie uh, or a TV show. So it's very important. I think some of that does come from what we're seeing with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is influential without a doubt. I give credit to Game of Thrones and perhaps uh, even more so Lost, uh, which came uh, before it, of course, creating this need to huddle around a water cooler the next day and not just talk about, wow, wasn't that cool, but talk about what that means and what's the connections. And if you really dig into Game of Thrones, as we all know, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire is so deep. I'm just randomly I picked up Feast of Crows the other day, and I just started kind of reading through it again. Uh, it is the one book that, uh, you know, a lot of people might say so far is their, their least favorite of the series. Some people might say that. Uh, it definitely, for me, was the most confusing because it was like, what am I? Who are these? What's going on? Who are these characters? I'm in a different part of the world. Uh, and uh, that's exactly uh, one of the the downfalls of, of Feast for Crows. But I was reading it and just amaz- amazed at just... 
the deep cut connections and Maester Ebros is mentioned and of course Injim Broadbent plays him uh, here and I, I, we all thought Broadbent was going to be Archmaester Marwyn and that's part of it and that's part of what I think the influence Game of Thrones has on Star Wars is just the expansion of the world where we could sit and go all right Jim Broadbent's been cast as a character, probably a maester, probably an archmaester. It's got to be Marwyn, but not looking at the little mentions of Ebros, uh, Maester Ebros, and how that would factor in. Now, as far as what you're talking about uh, specifically, Thomas, of the adult themes, uh, I don't believe Disney Lucasfilm will ever take Star Wars to adult. Uh, they're always going to have a fun family aspect to Star Wars because, again, if you're keeping with what George Lucas created, he really, really believes Star Wars is for children. Not kitty stuff, and you would look at stuff with Jar Jar Binks and Ewoks and maybe disagree with that, um, and possibly now the Porgs, but George Lucas really believes Star Wars is about kids 11 or 12, around that age where they are approaching what he calls adulthood, or the, the world opens up in front of you. You go from uh, a child to your teen years, and, and you really start to learn. You really start to form opinions. You already kind of are he, who you are, but you really kind of get to learn. So I don't think Star Wars will ever abandon that. I don't know if you can. I don't know. It would be weird if an adult, quote-unquote, adult-themed Star Wars, which, I don't know, does that mean cursing? Does that mean sex? Does that mean even more uh, violence than there already is? I don't know if I would even want that. It might seem weird. It might seem out of tone. I'm up for it. If maybe a TV series can take them in that direction, maybe that's the case. Game of Thrones definitely does have that influence, though. You see it. You see it in all these other shows, some good, some bad. Uh, Nightfall is one I'm interested in seeing now. I didn't get to, uh, haven't had a chance to view that yet. Haven't had a chance to view Vikings. I know a lot of people, I know some people love Vikings more than Game of Thrones. And then there's uh, a show, The Last Kingdom, I believe it was called. I tried to watch it and I just didn't take to it. But it definitely is the Game of Thrones influence. So it is there. We'll see if it reaches into Star Wars. But for now, I think some of the lore, how you approach lore and build lore and have to answer to the fans about lore factors in a little bit to what they're doing in Star Wars. Great call, Thomas. Love it. Guys, that's it for now. We'll talk more Daily Thrones, more scenes uh, uh, about Game of Thrones here on Daily Thrones tomorrow. It's been a long weekend for me, a fun one, but that's it for now. See you guys.